0: Well, welcome to church, everyone. We're going to get into the message here. Um, we've been, we've been a, in a series called Well Played. Of course, the term well played, it's, it's a term that people use if someone makes a good move in a, in a sport or a chess match or in a debate. Uh, that's something we often say. And the, the question we've actually been asking in this series is, what does a life well played look like? All right. There's a there's a plan, purpose, and destiny for your life, for my life, for, the, for everyone um, that God has created. But we, when we fulfill that plan, purpose, and destiny, I don't want anything that God's called me to do in this life. I don't want anything that he's called me to do to not, to not be fulfilled. And I want the same thing for you. And that's kind of what we've been uh, honing in and talking about in this series. And um, one thing we've been honing in and talking about a little bit is the fact that there is something called eternal rewards. And I want to make a disclaimer and a a real distinction here before I really get into the message because it can confuse people, and I don't want anyone to be confused about this, which is this. Um, When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he gives you the gift that you can never earn or deserve. It's the gift of salvation. It is the gift of a right and restored relationship with your Father in heaven. You can't earn that. You can't deserve that. God just gave that to us because he loves us so much. Okay, that's called salvation. Okay, that's how you become born again. Okay, But also the Bible talks about, in addition to that, that there are heavenly rewards or rewards even, even here on earth. The Bible says that the way of the transgressor is hard. So when you're not serving the Lord, you're not walking with him, um, that's a hard lifestyle. There's rewards here and now. There's rewards in heaven and eternity for living the life God has called you to live. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Some people... Think that it's wrong to try to serve God in a, in a, in a way to get a reward or to, or to give or so in order to be blessed or something like that. And I just want to say the Bible would not offer that if it was wrong for you to want to go after that. The Bible wouldn't say, hey, there's, there's rewards connected to the things we do. If it was wrong for us to go after those things, the Bible wouldn't offer that as something that we should go after, okay? So it's not wrong to be motivated by heavenly rewards, eternal rewards, or being just walking a, in, in a blessed life here and now on earth. And so, but I do want to make that distinction that, that, that um, you already loved, valued, and accepted. This isn't trying to earn to be good enough for God. He already loves you. He already accepts you if, if you've received Jesus. You're already in the family. So we're not trying to earn our way or work our way in, up into that standing. But... I do, as a, as a pastor, I want to see you walk in the fullness of everything God has called you to do. I want to, I want to see to it that all the rewards that he wants for you in eternity, you get. You could think of me maybe as a um, eternal um, investment. You know, they have investment people for, to make sure you have, what are they called? Like, advisor, investment advisors that you would retire comfortably, right? You go to an advisor and they tell you how to invest. Think of me as a uh, eternal advisor. I want to make sure that when you get to heaven... Um, you um, have the rewards that God has called for you to have. Amen? And so, um, when I was thinking about this message and what to say and what a life will play um, looks like, I was thinking about um, funerals. I've, I've done a number of funerals. And, of course, funerals are the place where you, you come and you, you utilize, you, you, wow, you, you do a eulogy, right? Wow. <laughs> you also learn to talk. Okay. But you talk about the life of someone, you celebrate the life of someone, and sometimes funerals can be a little bit tricky, and here's why. Um, I love doing funerals when the person who passed away, uh, passed away, and they had a passion for Jesus. They love Jesus. That's an easy funeral to do, because that's a celebration of life, Right? I want my funeral to be like that. I don't want there to be any question. Did he know the Lord? Was he serving the Lord? I want, to, I want people to know, like, man, that guy had a passion for Jesus. He's with him now. Like, let's celebrate, right? Sometimes um, I've done funerals, and I, a lot of the people I don't know very well, and sometimes I'll do funerals, and people are like, well, yeah, we, we think they knew God. They kind of talked about him sometimes, or, you know, yeah. And, and it just becomes, and I just kind of take the family's word for it. Yeah, he's in heaven. I'm like, okay, great. He's in heaven. You know, she's in heaven, whatever. And then there are, I've done a few funerals where actually, I've actually had family members tell me like, I don't think they had a relationship with Jesus at all. I don't think they knew the Lord at all. That is a tough funeral to do because I don't want to tell everyone, yeah, this person's in heaven with Jesus if it's not true, but I don't, I'm certainly not going to tell them the opposite either. Now you can still honor their life, right? You honor what's honorable. There's, I mean, people do honorable things. You honor what's honorable. You can still comfort the family. The Holy Spirit is still there as a comforter the family, And I always use it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. No matter what funeral I do, I always try to weave in the gospel there. So I always kind of have my agenda as well. But if you have a life well played, I will say this, it will not make it hard for a pastor to do your funeral. Okay? And maybe I'll do some of your funerals, you know, someday. I don't know. So make it easy on me. Have a passion for Jesus. Amen? Okay? Okay. I want, to, I want that to be said of me at my funeral. He had a passion for Jesus his entire life. Um, recently, I performed a funeral, and on the way out of the funeral, I saw two gravestones, and I took a picture of them, and I want you to go ahead and put those up. Okay. I don't know what's going on here. There's, like, an eternal, like, feud happening, whatever. But these people... I, okay, There's not wrong to like your sports team to be in the, you know, the Super Bowls next weekend. It's not wrong to be in your team or whatever. But, oh my gosh, you are so into this, you're putting it on your gravestone. Like, this is how you're going to be remembered forever. Like, that's crazy. I, I blocked out the names because I don't, I don't know if it's possible there could be family members of these people here. I don't know. <laughs> but seriously, like, you put that on your gravestone. Like, that's how you want to be remembered forever, okay? Um, <laughs> so... I don't know what I want on my gravestone. I don't know what you want, but I don't want to be, I personally don't want to be remembered for like loving a football team or, or any team for that matter. Like I'm into some things, I like some sports, but that's crazy. <laughs> Today, I want to talk about um, heart motives. I've been kind of talking for a couple weeks. I want to really hone in on the motives of our heart. God cares so much about not just what we do, He cares about the motives of our heart. First Corinthians 4, 5. We read this a couple of weeks ago. It says this, um, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The title of my message today is, What's Your Angle? What's your angle? What's your motive? Why are you doing what you're doing? Okay? Sometimes what you're doing... Why you're doing what you're doing is a good thing. Sometimes why you're doing what you're doing can be a bad thing, right? And so we want to we wanna have good motives. My wife and I have this, this um, it's kind of a, if you want a sneak peek inside joke into our marriage. We have the the privilege of like meeting a, a lot of really sweet people. Like really sweet hearted, nice people. And sometimes we'll just like, aren't they the sweetest? They're the kindest, like wow, those are amazing people. And then we'll kind of look at each other jokingly and be like, yeah, but... What's their angle, you know? Like, what's their, what's their deal? What's their hidden agenda? We're just joking, of course. We don't believe there's any hidden agenda, but just kind of an inside joke in our life. But listen, God doesn't just care what you do, He cares why you do it, okay? A few weeks ago, um, I, we talked about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul gives this metaphor. To, to describe eternal, eternal rewards. The metaphor was this, um, a builder building a building. Paul says, I lay the foundation as an expert builder, and that foundation is Christ. No one can build on any other foundation but the foundation of Christ, but be careful as how you build on that foundation. He's saying to us, um, the metaphor is, the way we build on that foundation, the way we build our lives and the work we put into it, we should be careful how we build. And he says there's six building materials. There's, there's gold, Precious stones and silver, wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, there's six, six building materials that he lists. And he says that our works will be tested by fire. He's not talking about hell in that situation. He's just saying our works will be tested. God will shine light on them. And our motives is, is one thing. Our works will be tested by fire. And if what remains um, is there, we will receive an award. But if what we have sown into this life, if what we build upon burns up, we, we will lose our reward. Okay, It's possible to work very hard and to build things that don't last in eternity. And it's possible to work hard and build things that do last in eternity. One of, those, one of the ways to know that you're building um, in the, with the right building materials is knowing that your motives are pure and your heart is pure before the Lord. Our works will be tested with fire. Um, this is kind of a, a little bit of a morbid um, illustration, but... During World War II when when the United States um, dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, um, they they explode those bombs not down on the city but like over the cities to get the maximum um, effect. And when that bomb goes off, before the shockwave even hit the ground, um, the the radiant heat travels at the speed of light. So it it beats uh, the shockwave which travels at the speed of sound. That radiant heat immediately caught almost everything on fire in the whole city, It just immediately, because the rooftops were wood, stubble, hay, a lot of them were, were built out of these materials, immediately they caught on fire, and the whole city um, was burning before the shockwave even hit, and, and so that's kind of an illustration, When we, but how, how many know if they had built with um, gold, silver, precious stone, you know, those kind of materials? that um, would have been much more resilient to that kind of weapon. Well, it's kind of similar in eternity. God, he's not going to, you know, nuke your works, but he will expose, you know, it's a metaphor. God will expose the motives of your heart, the, what, what you uh, was driving you in this life, okay? And so um, one way to know that we're building with the right materials is knowing if our motives are pure. To be rewarded, we need to do not just the right things, but with the right motives, Okay it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motives and it's possible to do the wrong thing with the right motives. Let me give you a couple examples of each as you're kind of just reflecting through this message on your life and, and take this in and reflect on it in your life and ask the question like, everything you do, what is my motive behind this? What is, what is driving me to do the thing that I'm doing? Okay? Um, so it's possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive. Let me give you, let me give you an example of this. Someone who did the right thing, wrong motive. Jesus in Matthew 6 chapter, uh, chapter six, verses one through four. He says this, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, you do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay? So giving, giving to the needy, it's the right thing. Practicing your righteousness, right thing, right? Practicing it in order to be seen by others, wrong heart motive. Okay? Okay, that's an example of right thing, wrong motive. Let me give you another one. Doing the right thing with the wrong motive. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, the Apostle Paul says this. Apostle Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here uh, for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not um um, sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in the chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Okay, so apparently not everyone who preaches Jesus is doing it from the right motives. Not everyone who preaches Jesus is doing it from the, heart, the right heart motives, okay? But some do out of love, okay? Um, so preaching the gospel, how many know that's the right thing to do? Right? That's the right thing to do, preach the gospel. Doing it out of selfish ambition, envy, and rivalry is definitely the wrong motive, right? Okay? The first person is preaching Christ, the one who who is preaching Christ out of love, they're building in a way, they're building with gold, silver, precious stones. They're building on a foundation of Christ and they're building something that will last forever, right? The person who builds or who's preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, envy, strife, all those things, that person, they're building on that foundation of Jesus, but they're building in a way that there's no reward in heaven for them, okay? This is super important for us. I want us to have an understanding of what kind of, what kind of things God is looking for. What is he going after in our lives, okay? Okay, so that was the right thing with the wrong motives. What about the wrong thing with the right motives? Sometimes we do the wrong thing, we have the right heart, Okay, here's an example of this. In Luke uh, chapter 22, there was a there was a mob. Pay attention. Pay attention, you guys. Don't you sleep during my message? Luke chapter 22. There's a mob that comes to arrest Jesus. Right. And previously in that same chapter, Jesus had told them to get swords. He didn't tell them why to get swords, he just said, get swords. They're like, we have two, is that enough? Jesus' is like, that's enough. <laughs> then they come to arrest Jesus with clubs, the, the high priest and then the servant of the high priest, and Peter, because Peter's always full of bright ideas, right? He's the guy. Peter either had a really good aim or bad aim. He goes to strike the high priest's servant on strike him and actually cuts off his right ear. Right? This is Peter. He cuts off the right ear of the high priest, okay? Now, Peter, what was Peter's motive? To protect his Lord, like to protect his Lord and Savior, right? He had the right heart motive. He did the wrong thing. Like, all right? Jesus, of course, picks up the ear, puts it back on. Things, things move on, okay? Peter, right motive, did the wrong thing, okay? Let me give you, let me give you another example. Don't worry, the sword will come back out in a minute, okay? Give you another example Paul and in the, in the book of Acts. This is before Paul's conversion. Paul was zealous for God. He's zealous for the law, right? Paul is persecuting Christians. Like he's putting them in the chains of persecution. Paul's heart, is, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to put down this rebellion, put down this whatever he thought it was, a cult, right? He has zeal for God, but he's doing the wrong thing out of ignorance, okay? Sometimes that happens in our life. Sometimes you have the right heart and you end up doing the wrong thing, Okay. We want to not only do the right thing, but we want to do it with the right heart, okay? As a leader, I would rather have people around me who have good motives and do the wrong things than people who do the right things with the wrong motives, okay? If you have an employee who messes up, sometimes employees mess up, right? Um, Or they question some of your decisions, right? Um, But you know they have a good heart. They love the organization. They love you, they have good, you know, they believe the best about you. If you have an employee who messes up or questions you, but they have a good heart, like that's, that's not bad. Like that's, that person, why? Because that person can be teachable. They have a good heart. They can be teachable. They can be moldable, moldable right? But if that's, if another, if that same person has selfish ambition and they're cutting others down behind their back to get ahead, right? Even if they're doing the right thing, that's still not the right person for your organization. Okay. So, or how about this? How about with raising kids and disciplining kids? The thing, the thing that the, the kid does what they messed up in actually isn't the main thing to focus on. The main thing to focus on is what was, what was happening in their heart. Because if, if they were driven by rebellion and disrespect, those are the things that need to be corrected more than the action itself, right? Rebellion and disrespect needs to be driven out. Actions will follow. So I'd rather have kids that do the immature thing with the right heart then do the mature thing with a bad heart, okay? Because that can be corrected. Their, their, their actions can be corrected if their heart's right. But rebellion and disrespect has to be driven out, okay? Actions are easy, to correct, are easy to correct when their attitudes are good. So if motives are so important and if a life well played has rewards, how do we know if our motives are right? So I'm gonna talk about with the remaining of our time, how do we know if our motives... right in a particular situation okay again sometimes in in our lives some of the things we're doing are probably done with pure motives other things we're probably not doing with pure motives and obviously sometimes you know right away like am i doing this with pure motives i don't know you could ask that question you could pray about it the lord will show you but i want to kind of give you three keys to really help you live a life of discernment so that you'll kind of know what's driving and what your motives are okay i'm gonna give you three keys to knowing what your angle is about a particular situation. Okay, so how do I know if my motives are right? I'm gonna give you three things. Number one, study God's word with the Holy Spirit, okay? How do I know if my motives are right? Study God's word with the Holy Spirit, all right? Um, Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 through 13 says this, for the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. This isn't a double-edged sword. But it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes. Remember, attitudes are important. The attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Okay? The word of God, this right here, the Bible, will cut through the crud and get right to the intent of your heart, okay? But this is important, not just to read the word, but read the word with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit shine light on the places of your heart that need exposed, okay? Studying the word with the Holy Spirit will help um, expose the motives of your heart. If you read the word, I don't know about you, sometimes I read the Bible and sometimes I don't, I don't know, I don't like what, I don't like that. Have you ever, (laughs) come on, come on, you ever read something you're like, that's not going down very smooth. you like, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of, you know, the Bible's awesome. It's got some cheesecake in there. It's got some, uh, you know, some some good stuff. It's also got some broccoli up in there, right? And you gotta eat your broccoli too, okay? And so sometimes you read the word and you're, it's, it's something will challenge you. It's like, oh, I don't know. And, but listen, that's probably the exact, like if it hurts when you read the word, like, maybe just let that hurt. Maybe it's supposed to hurt. Maybe it's supposed to challenge your paradigm, right? We don't read the word to just find it to be agreeable, right? We read the word to let it transform us. Like we read the word to become the word, right? We don't just read the word. We want to become what God says we can be, right? Okay, so um, let the Holy Spirit um, work in you as, as you um, read the word. Okay, so number one was study God's word with the Holy Spirit. Number two, how do I know if my motives are right? Allow God to renew your mind and your heart. I say mind and heart because There's vastly overlapping themes with the mind and heart um, with the Bible. Um, I'm going to read Ephesians 17, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. It says this, and this is, the the title here of, of this portion of scripture is Instructions for Christian Living. It says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They have lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sens- uh, sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you, came, when you heard of, about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude, right? Attitude of your minds to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, okay? So that's, we can renew our minds. We can, we can have new hearts. You ever hear the, the phrase, like people say sometimes, someone comes to you for advice, and, like, the advice you want to give them, like, sometimes it's like, well, just follow your your heart, you know? You should just follow your heart. Well, listen, that advice is good for some people, follow your heart, because if their heart's renewed and their mind's renewed, that's good advice for someone. But that could be really bad advice for other people, right? Not everyone should follow your heart, okay? Like, if your mind's not renewed, your heart's not renewed, don't follow your heart, okay? Okay, so... Um, Left to ourselves, our hearts are not pure and our motives are not pure, okay? Jeremiah 17, verse nine says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it, okay? Just because you feel something in your heart doesn't mean it's like good or right or holy, right? There's a lot of things that happen in here that I'm like, no, that's not in the word of God. I I need to change direction there, right? So when people come to me for advice and I know that their heart and their motives are pure, I can, I'll tell them, follow your heart, you know? Um, and in fact, I'll say, you know what? It sounds like God's leading you. He's leading you with the desires of your heart. That's one of the ways we know how God leads us. He has given us a desire in our heart. Man, he's leading you by the desires of your heart. You need to follow your heart. I'll tell that to people sometimes, right? Why? Because God gave them a new heart. God can give you a new heart and you can renew his, your, your mind in his word. But other times I'll see someone and I know their motives are bad, and I know they have no idea what the will of God looks like for their lives, I don't tell that person to follow their heart. Why? Their heart is deceiving them. Like, your heart will deceive you. Their heart will actually lead them astray. I don't want them to follow their heart. I want them to renew their mind and get a new heart before they follow their heart, okay? Listen, this is especially true if that person is, is an unforgiveness. If you have an unforgiving heart, you probably shouldn't be following your heart. If you have resentment towards others, don't follow your heart. If you are dealing with inadequacy or insecurity, that like that's the driver, don't follow your heart. Like if you're feeling inadequate and insecure, don't follow your heart. It's it's deceiving and it's lying to you, okay? All right. If you're secure in the Lord and who you are, like then you can follow your heart. Or how about this one? If someone is, if you're operating out of a wound from the past in your life, don't follow your heart. If it's a wound that's driving you, we gotta get free from our past so that we can step into our future, amen? All right. So, I don't tell everyone to follow their heart, but if I can see if someone's motives are pure and see if their heart's pure and their mind's renewed, then it's like, yeah, follow your heart. God's leading you. Come on, he's speaking to you. So, this is true for all of us because I think my mind's renewed in some regards. I think my mind still needs to be renewed in others. I think God's given me a pure heart in some ways. I think God still needs to work on my heart and make my motives pure in others, okay? So, that we have to... We can't just say a blanket statement like all of our motives are pure or all of our motives are bad. Like I think in situation after situation, we have to, we have to constantly be before, go before the Lord, especially when there's insecurity, especially when there's unforgiveness, especially when there's inadequacy. We have to like really hold those things up before the Lord, okay? Okay, number three, how do we know if our motives are right? Number three is fear God and not man. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I don't really have time to get into like a full teaching on what the fear of the Lord is and is not. But fearing the Lord is not a negative thing. The fear of the Lord, the, it'll say in the Bible sometimes, that person, they did the right thing because they lived in fear or reverence to the Lord, Okay. The fear, of the, the fear of the Lord is not a negative thing. It's actually the most liberty, liberating thing you can ever do in your life. Having the fear of the Lord is the most liberating thing you can ever do in your whole life. In fact, I will say this. If you fear the Lord, you don't have to fear anything else ever. You don't have to have any fear for anything if you fear the Lord. Okay, and that's just simply having that awe, that respect, that regard, that acknowledgement for him everywhere you go, knowing that he's the reward of those who diligently seek him. Knowing that he is He is a rewarder, okay? That's part of the fear of the Lord. So living with that honor. And he's a loving father. He's a loving papa, right? He's the most loving father you could ever have. Okay, so my kids know that I love them. My kids know that I'm a loving father. I tell them, I buy them things. I kiss them, I hug them, right? They also know don't mess with your mama because it won't go well for them, right? (laughs) So that's the fear of dad, right? Wait till your dad gets home. Did you ever hear that, right? I come home sometimes and like, my kids will running up to me like, you know, I could tell you uh, no trouble, no trouble, you know. Okay, so that's, but that's a, a, a healthy reverence, a healthy fear. Okay. Okay, so let me give you examples um, of fear of man versus uh, the fear of the Lord. Here's fear of man. Buying stuff you can't afford to impress other people. If you're buying things you can't afford to impress other people, that's fear of man. Always needing, how about this one? Always needing to be in the in crowd. I want to appear to be the popular, important person, always in the in crowd. I don't know if uh, Nicole Nelson is in the room. Are you in here, Nicole Nelson? She might be serving in one of the nurseries. Yeah, probably with the kids. She is amazing. We've known her for a long time. She will always go out of her way to find the person in the room who's like left out, who's lonely, not the cool, not the popular person. I love that about her. She's like, yeah, amen. Yeah. Tell her we clap for her. <laughs> okay. She befriends the loners. And don't worry if she's not, if she's talking to you, that doesn't mean you're a loner. It just means, don't talk to me. I don't want to be a loner. Like she finds the, the person who is left out. And, 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 we'll, and I, don't, I don't know how she does this. She'll sit across them and intently look in their eyes and be fully engaged in what that person is saying. I love it. Other people, it's like, they have to be in the end crowd, be the popular person, okay? That's fear of man. Uh, how about this one? If you're obsessed with yourself and what others think about you, that's the fear of man, okay? Um, if you care more about temporary things than eternal things, that's the fear of man. Or how about this one? If you're in a situation, people are... Telling you something that they did or something cool, and you always gonna be the guy that is the one upper, right? <laughs> that's nothing. Let me tell you a story, right? You got, we all know that person. They're always—they don't just let that person have their story. Like, that's awesome. Good for you. No, they all, no. Let me tell you a better story. That's—that's that's someone who cares about what other people think about them a little bit too much. Okay. That's fear man. Here's another one: compromising your morals to move up the company ladder. Right, that's, that's the fear of man. That's not the fear of the Lord. Compromising your morals to move up the company ladder. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Okay, let me give you some examples of the fear of the Lord. I heard a sermon uh, recently by uh, Brian Johnson, who's a worship leader at Bethel Church in Rating, California. He had just gotten done leading worship at a, at a massive conference. Thousands of people so he's a worship leader, and he's on the plane ride home, and he's telling this story about someone on their, was either their phone or their iPad next to them, and I don't think it was pornography, but there was some, like, scandally clad kind of stuff happening on, this, on the screen right next to him, someone sitting right next to him on the screen, and he said in that moment, for him, worship, it wasn't the thousands leading worship at the conference before the thousands, he said worship for me was averting my eyes from that screen and not looking at what that person was doing right next to me. He said in his heart, that was worship. And, that, and, and he said before the Lord, he said that had more importance than leading worship before thousands of people it was the worship I did by averting my eyes to that screen that's right next to me. That's the fear of the Lord, okay? That's fear. When you're at home and there's no one looking and no one will know what you're looking at on your computer, doing the right thing is the fear of the Lord. The things you've done are secret is the fear of the Lord, okay? Holding your morals and values, even when it's not popular in today's society, that's the fear of the Lord. Here's another one. Knowing a juicy piece of gossip and knowing that at the girls' get-together, it's going to make you the life of the party to bring this one out. Like, you guys are not going to wait. Knowing a juicy piece of gossip about someone, but restraining yourself and keeping that from everyone, that's the fear of the Lord. I was talking to my wife the other day. There was a company that I worked for, and there was like, big time scandal. Like one of the upper bosses was like having an affair with someone in the organization. She found out about this before I did and she didn't even tell me. My wife didn't even want to talk about that with me because I was still working for that company. Like that's the fear of the Lord. Like we could have, ooh, let's talk about that. Let's gossip about that. Let's get into those details. She kept that for me. I know things about we counsel people separately. We We don't cross examine. We don't talk about those kind of things. Keeping someone's um Dignity and privacy in those regards, that's the fear of the Lord, right? It's living before the audience of one, all right? We need to get our affirmation. Our affirmation needs to come from being a son and daughter of God, right? Not from what others think. Well, this will be funny. Well, this will be awesome, right? We need to get our affirmation from the Lord Himself. Amen? All right. Let's put up those three points. I'll pray and then we'll, we'll transition this over. It's not a very smooth landing, but it's the landing nonetheless bring the sword out again so everyone pays attention. <laughs> All right. How do I know my motives are right? Number one, study God's word with the Holy Spirit. Let him, ex- let him expose the motives of your heart. Um, David said, said something along these lines. Lord, test me. See if there's any deceitful way in me. Know my heart. Try me. He said, actually, I want you to, I want you to try my heart to see if there's any deceitful or wrong way in me, right? Let the word of God cut through your heart. Allow God to renew your heart and mind so that you'll have greater discernment of what your motives are. And number three, fear God and not man. Why don't you guys stand to your feet and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for every individual in this room, Lord God. I pray, God, that we would have that holy reverence and honor, the fear of the Lord. Lord, we would live our lives. Lord God, that is a life well played, Lord. That we live for the audience of one, Lord. When when no one's looking, Lord God, we would live for the audience of one. God, we wouldn't worship or pray or give because people are looking, Lord God. We would do it because we're living for the audience of one, Lord. And I thank you, God, that when our motives are pure and our hearts are pure, Lord God, there is an re- eternal reward for that, Lord God. God, you said a cup of cold water. If you give a cup of cold water in, an, in his name, that doesn't go unnoticed and there's reward for that. So Father, I just pray for everyone here, Lord God, that this is living by faith, knowing that God is watching, knowing that God is with you everywhere you go. That's living by faith. So God, I just bless everyone here today. And I pray, God, we would have that, Lord God. We would live with that, Lord God. We would have that secret life before you, Lord God. And we just bless everyone here today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.